Mother's Day is in three days. Go to BlueNile.com. At BlueNile.com, you can easily navigate thousands of fine jewelry options at every price point. Need help? No problem. Blue Nile offers expert advice 24-7 via phone or chat. Online shopping is easy with free shipping and returns. Until Mother's Day, listeners can save $50 on purchases of $500 or more. Just go to BlueNile.com and use the code RADIO to save. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The New Orleans Welcome to In The Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Dua and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to In The Know, brought to you by no one in particular this week. So just a shout out to the network, which is the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Make sure you check out some good pods on our network. Mason, my man, how have you been? Have you been in New Orleans? Is that was that where you are? Yeah, um, it's going on the fifth week here, but this is where we're, this is the end. Uh, we're, we're driving back to Chicago Um this this weekend uh we we were actually gonna go leave on friday and saturday this past weekend but we looked at the it was literally gonna be negative degree negative degrees in chicago and so we said let's wait and actually this weekend looks pretty awful across the country like i i just saw an article that like it's supposed to get into the 20s in new orleans which is insane that never happens so i think i think we're picking the right time to go if there are there's no real right time to leave new orleans but this is it yeah, man. I, I I don't know how you do it. I feel like we talk about this every third podcast. I would hate myself <laughs> In the if wintertime. I had to experience yeah. any of that cold. So very glad that we don't have to do that. Speaking of the cold, guess who isn't cold anymore? There's like multiple right answers for this, by the way. <laughs> I was trying to say which which right answer, um, but uh, let's let's go with the obvious. Uh, no, Pelicans looking looking not terrible, huh? Yeah, the Pelicans are looking not terrible. They have won three in a row. They are ten and twelve. They are uh, basically a few games out. I think three or four games out, maybe less from the fourth seed, right? Uh, even though they're still only sitting the twelfth seed, I believe. But 
you know, early season, uh, things are looking up. And when when the Pelicans are winning, we're no longer a dysfunctional organization with um, no direction and no hope. Right. That's that's how it works. It, yeah. You remember last year when um, when Scott went on and on about the, the he, he well, he made he wrote the fire gentry article and the Pelicans went on a huge run. And I feel like I wonder if if you've done this, say, you've you've created the same sort of ta- uh, tailwind for the Pelicans, uh, because I feel like. Um, what I guess it was the was it the Kings loss when uh, it came, things kind of came to a head for you and then it's looked actually not terrible since. <laughs> yeah, well, it was just like the whole like they subbed Zion out and then they couldn't stop anyone, and I was like, all right, this is stupid, right? They're they're losing the same way. These guys clearly don't care, and um, and then they've won you know the next next uh, few games, which is funny to me and and there's been a so they say like a dramatic uptick in how Zion plays defense how Brandon Ingram plays defense and how the team is you know composing themselves Lonzo Ball is back and um yeah so it's a long season I get that Uh, I don't think that the mistakes of the early season have been totally absolved I also think that that's one of the advantages for it to being early, right? You, you take those losses, you take the Sacramento loss, you take that Minnesota loss, you take all those other losses that, are, that you wish you could have back. And if you don't learn from them, you are that directionless team that has a poor process. But if you learn from them, right, and you make process changes, whether that's individual players taking in that upon themselves to be better, or whether that's the coaching staff adjusting how they are using individual players. Um, you know, Jackson Hayes is out of the rotation. Nikhil Alexander-Walker did not play the other night. Uh, so, you know, these small tweaks, and, and you can't be like, okay, well, it's it's because of these small tweaks that the Pelicans are winning, right? But it's, it's kind of one of those things where, like, inch by inch it, it builds up, and you want – you want to have steady progress going forward. And that's what you want to see. So I'm, I'm unconvinced that, you know, this is all of a sudden a great team, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm unconvinced that everything is okay. And, and the roster issues that exist suddenly don't exist. Uh, but I, you know, I tweeted before that Kings game at some point, like, you know, it'll get better, right? They, they, they played a ridiculously hard road game, uh, road schedule, uh, and which was just brutal, absolutely brutal. And, the schedule is going to get lighter, especially in the back half, because, you know, the NBA has been front loading the national TV games for the Pelicans just so they can see where they will be in the second half of the season. And a lot of those national TV games are against really good teams. And so, yeah, the, I mean, the Pelicans, I would say the Pelicans are not too far off from where they were projected to be record wise. And, um, you know, standing wise, if everything had gone to plan. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. Um, I, I think this team, they're making steps. And I, I, I said something about it this weekend about, uh, I think as we move further and further away from that awful two-week road trip, um, we're going to realize how how actually difficult it was. Like, I feel like it was, and this even, I mean, it could have been even harder if they started off with that. Although actually Dallas hasn't played that well. So maybe that, maybe that first, uh, that first game against Dallas, we would have, we're missing because we would have caught them at a good time when they're really not playing that well. And, and cause I would think they, 
I'm, I'm assuming they're going to get better as the season goes on because they're not that good of a team right now. And maybe we missed missed a good shot for, against them. But, I mean, other than that, a bunch of tough games. Um, the Kings, I feel like, as a lot of – De'Aaron Fox is one player of the week. I mean, that, that team's playing very well. And so that was one of the Pelicans' road wins. Obviously, they lost to at home and kind of frustrated a lot of people. But I, I don't think – I mean, that, that team's playing pretty well uh, overall. And then – the last game of the road trip, obviously, is the one people got most upset about against Minnesota. Like, that's a game you have to win when you're and, – and the team was pretty much fully healthy, and you've got to win that game. I mean, I'm not here to make excuses for that loss, um, to say that they shouldn't have won, but I will say that playing at the end of a two-week road trip when you're pretty much locked into your hotel room, more or less, and it's not the same type of – yeah, you, you can't um, – I'll, I'll just – yeah, I'll, I'll be uh, PG here, but yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you, you you probably feel like you're, you're in solitary confinement or close to it. And, and I know that's probably, that's, that's an exaggeration, but I mean, like compared to what the normal lifestyle is on the road for an NBA player, I mean, you, you're probably over it at the end of a two week trip. that's that long. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of, I, I don't entirely, um, you know, think that they were playing in optimal circumstances there. So like, I mean, besides the road trip, which is six games, so that's not nothing. Um, this team's playing. All right. I mean, uh, they won a close game against the Pacers, which I think is big because last year we all know how bad they were in crunch time. And this year it's kind of been fairly hit or miss as well. Um, they won a couple of games convincingly um, over the, uh, over the Suns and, and the Bucks, which is, uh, I mean, the Bucks made a nice comeback, but I think most of the game, the Pelicans had it in the hand, which was impressive. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's, there's some things to like here. Um, I think we'll talk about some of the specifics as we get into more details, but uh, in this podcast, but um, you know, trending up overall. Yeah, so like, you know, each player has their own way of stress management and stress release and uh, things to lighten the load when when the going gets tough. And especially for people like JJ, who are, you know, very devoted to their family and, you know, his family's in, in Brooklyn right now, right? He hasn't seen them for months in that road trip. He can't even do anything with his teammates. Um, they're just kind of locked in there, not allowed to do anything. And, and the kind of tracks with his trade uh scenario where uh the pelicans are looking to perhaps send him to a northeastern team and and i think that that's good um i i'm not too convinced that the pelicans are actually going to be able to get anything worthwhile for jj i think that that could be an issue where we're just looking at a situation where we have to buy him out and it will be disappointing if that uh, is the end of the JJ Redick era is, you know, you get a year and a half out of him. The results weren't fantastic um, in terms of a win loss uh, outcome. And then hopefully, you know, his leadership has rubbed off on some of the young players. You just, that's something unquantifiable for us outsiders, but if it results in a buyout, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in, in that situation, but who knows, you know, there, there is no more urgency to kind of flip him. They very clearly sat him right around that reaggregation deadline date. Right. And so the reaggregation deadline, the way it works is if you trade JJ and, and the player you're getting back, if you want to trade them in combination with another player before the deadline. So like, let's say you traded JJ for, I don't know. I'm just going to make up a name here. Um, but you know, I think Mike Scott is, is the one that's on the, on the Sixers, right? So let's say it was like Mike Scott and some salary. 
Um, let's say you made that trade and then you want to trade Bledsoe plus Mike Scott for something else at the deadline. If you want to be able to combine those two players together, you have to do it by that date. You know, any player that you're making a trade for now, you're not going to be able to combine them with any other Pelicans player at the deadline. And so, you know, now that that deadline is gone, I don't see any key advantage of them rushing to a trade. I also don't see any key advantage for if I'm an opposing team to really entertain the Pelicans on a trade, call their bluff, right? Make them, make them buy them out. Uh, But we'll see, you know, JJ isn't expiring and maybe there is a team that wants to shed salary, future salary that the Pelicans can utilize JJ's contract in. Yeah. And I think even for the Pelicans, I mean, the the one downside of not moving him beyond the asset accumulation is that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about freeing up minutes for the Pelicans younger guards. And so uh, I I think now, especially that that team's playing better of late and JJ has been a part of that, even though he's in, you know, he he hasn't, his shooting woes aren't suddenly gone, but I think you're seeing the value he can provide. I feel like the, the lineup specifically, it hasn't been much, but when he's been playing with the starters, whether it's minus Bledsoe or minus Lonzo, that doesn't really matter. I feel like, especially given the way that they're playing now and the way that they're utilizing Zion, I think his value increases on the offensive end. Obviously, defense is another story, but um, but yeah, I, I, I like how I, I like he, he, he still makes sense for this team. <laughs> and so he, he should get minutes, uh, in, in my opinion. And but that said, if they if they find a trade that makes sense for them and can get, you know, get some assets and then get more minutes for the young guys, I'm I'm all aboard that as well. Yeah, I mean, like, I think we've talked we've talked about endlessly how the uh, the biggest assets you're gonna get for for from a lot of these trades is just those minutes for the young guys, minutes for Kyra. Um, and so, yeah, I, I I'm, I'm doubtful that the Pelicans will get anything worthwhile for JJ if they can if they can move him and all they're getting is room under the tax line. That is a fantastic asset in in my book because I just man those bench units are rough you know you you talked about the starter units yeah okay but those bench units are a disaster the the JJ Hart duo is a disaster um you know and then you're adding in Jackson Hayes who has been terrible and and Zion's tasked to lead those bench units and you know there is a lot of praise for Willie but I think it's coming from the fact that he's not Jackson and I think people need to be cognizant of the fact that he's also not good. And that's not a solution for the Pelicans bench woes. And um, yeah, man, I just, I think there is a massive addition by subtraction potential by for, for moving JJ at, at this point in time for the Pelicans. I just think that's a minute sink. That's a, a defensive sink. That's a kind of messes up your offensive flow because He's not a guy that you just plant in the corner. He's a move off screens, run dribble handoffs, ad nauseum type of player where you have to like, you know, actually utilize him in that way. And and man, like I just, I, I'm just out on those bench units. I'm just completely out. I'm tired of watching them. They're terrible. <laughs> um, what, I feel like you mentioned certain players, but the bench units, I mean, like, what do you, what's the, is the fix getting new players and it seems like that is the that's the easiest fix but what's the what do you feel like is the hardest part to to really um what can be fixed without moving players in your opinion can anything bench jj man just don't fucking play him huh sorry that's that's really rough um i yeah i i think there is huge addition by subtraction we've seen it 
with with Jackson, right? Uh, you you want to raise the floor of those bench units. Jackson is, was a sink. You know, he was just dragging those things down um, for a variety of reasons. You know, I've talked about how that lineup isn't suited for him, or, you know, it's not optimizing him as well because of the Pelicans' poor guard play, but he's not doing himself any favors either. So, you know, they removed him. There's a little bit of higher floor with, with Willie. You're not going to have that same upside, but you're, you're not going to be like, oh, my God, what is this guy doing for, you know, eight minutes straight? Um, with JJ, I think it's the same thing. You know, if he's not hitting his shots, which has been the majority of nights, he is – a total negative. He doesn't give you defense. He doesn't give you rebounding. He doesn't give you anything on the court, anything at all. Um, and so, you know, with the Pelicans, just like, okay, well, what is the answer there? And it's a tough one because Nikhil has been terrible. Nikhil has just been ab- <laughs> abjectly terrible, but here's what I think Nikhil gives you. I think, Nikhil, if his shots aren't hitting, he will give you a, de- a higher defensive floor um, and he will give you playmaking and he will give you, you know, this ability to get in the paint a little bit. He's a, he's at least a little bit of an event generator, right? Where he, he leads the team in deflections, even when his limited minutes, he has one of the highest deflection rates in the league um, per 36 minutes. I think it may be one, um, you know, he, he generates turnovers. He generates events, um, you know, he, he rebounds the ball. He can do things with the ball in his hand. And so if you're going with, so if my option is play a guy whose only value is hitting shots and he's not hitting them or play a guy who's a guy that's also not hitting shots, but you know, he can at least give you other things on the basketball floor, you know, ride with that young fella, ride with that young fella and pray to God that there's some consistency that comes out of him getting consistent minutes. Um, and yeah, that's, that is where I'm at. Interesting. I, I, I don't agree. I, I think, um, I, I think if the goal is to play the young guys, I think the difference between JJ and Nikhil, the way they're both playing right now, doesn't, isn't wide enough to, to tell me not to play Nikhil. So I hear you there, but I feel like that's still just, it's too much for me just I'm, I'm overweighting. I think the, the start to JJ season here, when I, f- when the guy can shoot the ball, I don't, I don't, you don't lose. Like there's a lot of things you can lose over almost overnight when it comes to, um, you know, being on the back end of your career and being a little older, I, I can't buy, buy that shooting has just disappeared from JJ's arsenal. And I really, I really do feel like even if he's not hitting, I mean, we, we spent a lot of time over the last few podcasts or, uh, you know, uh, talking about spacing and what you need to be a true spacer and JJ has those things, even though he's not hitting right now, that the guy's made a career out of just knocking down crazy, difficult three-point shots. And I think he still gives you that element of spacing. And so I think he still has an impact on your offense, even if he's not knocking down shots. And so, I mean, I, I, and I'm obviously I'm, I'll be the first to say the defense is a problem, but I, I just, uh, I'm, if we're trying to win games and not, and we, you know, don't really care over the next, at least over the next few games about development, I still think I prefer JJ, but I totally, if, if they want to go with Nikhil because, you know, get more minutes for, for that young guy, then I'm, I'm all about it too. I just don't know if it's. Yeah. If I just like, you know, like JJ can have a night where he's like four of six from three and, and you're not going to convince me at this point that he was 
as big of a positive as him hitting those shots was. Like, you know, even on the nights where he hits shots, I still think that he's liable to be a massive negative on the floor. And and that's where I'm at with JJ is that even when you do hit shots, how like is it a net positive? Is it bringing your balance back into the green? I I just I don't see it with him. And and I think there are teams that could bring that out of him and teams that can optimize units that'll bring that out of him, but not for what the Pelicans need and and not for where where they are. And I just yeah, I just think at this point in his career on this team and the way it's constructed, he's a negative no matter what he's doing. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, he like, to, I just feel like you'd have to go on like a real heater, you know, for like six or seven games straight. And we we're like, okay, yeah, this guy is just completely changing the dynamic of the offense. Mm. Whereas like, I, I, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm out. I'm out on JJ. Sorry, JJ. You're a great person. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I guess uh, if you assume that raises the floor uh, of, of the bench, um, I'm surprised we haven't hit on another guy uh, who's been playing a little bit more recently and playing well. Um, Are you, are you going there next? That's any number of people, man. Bledsoe's been playing well. Hart's been playing well. Oh, Lonzo's come on. I'm been talking... playing well. <laughs> I'm talking Zion's about the... playing well. <laughs> Kyra, man. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, <laughs> look, I could talk about Kyra for the next 35 minutes straight without letting you speak at all. And <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, maybe that is what the people want. That right? might be what the people want, man. <laughs> that is, maybe that is what the people want. Uh, but I mean, you're talking about you're talking about what would raise the floor of the bench, and I feel like what we've seen from in limited minutes from Kyra is has been a lot of good. And so, you get let that dude play, right? Yes, a hundred percent. And and yes, I am a hundred percent okay with him playing uh, playing Nikhil off the floor, right? Nikhil, if if it's his minutes that are that are gone at the expense of Kyra's, wonderful. I mean, I'd prefer him to be JJ's, right? But I don't care. As long as Kyra is getting minutes, that is a win in my book. Excuse me. as a win in my book. And it's just evident from, you know, you even hear the Pelicans announcers, uh, Joel Myers and Antonio Daniels. Like, I, I don't know if it's subtle. I don't know if it's intentional, but like I, when Kyra threw the lob to Zion, it was uh, Joel's call was like, and what a read from a natural lead guard. You know, and then there's always <laughs> emphasis. There's also always emphasis on Kyra's ability to get in the paint and create for others and draw the defense. And and yes, I mean, you know, those things are what we have been asking for from Pelicans guards for a very long time. And Kyra, you know, this I don't think it's a hot take anymore. I think Kyra may legitimately be the Pelicans' best guard at drawing in the defense and reading and reacting and creating open shots for others. I legitimately think Kyra may be the best guard on the roster at, at that skill. Does that make him the best guard overall? No, you know, there's a lot more of a basketball game than driving and kicking and making reads. But I think at that particular skill, he might be the best. And I think, you know, with, with his skill in in the pick and roll and as a driver, you know, that's, that's the type of guard a guy like Jackson Hayes needs to look good. 
And when you when you go back and watch Jackson Hayes film and highlights from the previous year, why did he look so good? Well, they ran spread pick and rolls for him. And he received dunks and lobs because people would key in on the guards and he would just be having a, a wide open run to the rim. And that spread pick and roll game has just completely disappeared uh, when he's on the floor. And, and then also he's spent pretty much all of his minutes with Zion. And when Zion's on the floor, like, sorry, Jackson Hayes, you're just not going to be an offensive focus, dude. <laughs> like just go stand there in the dunker spot. And so, um, but yeah, if, if Kyra is on the floor and even if Jackson Hayes isn't on the floor, right. With Zion himself, like in those bench units, that's a combination I want to see much, much more of going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely agree. I, I think, um, We've been talking a lot about um, the, obviously shooting has been a problem for the team this year. Uh, last few games, notwithstanding, but I think we've both been adamant that the biggest problem here is creation and, and attacking and finding guards that can, you know, put pressure on the defense because when you, when that's really just Brandon Ingram and a little bit of blood. So uh, you've, you've got some problems because you could have all the shooters you want, but if no one really cares about protecting the paint, because no one's going to make that, you know, make you, make you do it, then your defenders are going to stay attached to those guys that are on the perimeter. And so, um, so to see Kyra come in and instantly be able to get there, obviously the shot's not falling yet. I mean, I, the, he's, he's not John Morant right now. So like, I mean, he's, well, he's, not, he's taking like one shot, like one three per game, you know, like, like two, two layups per game. And he's, I am a full believer in his shooting ability. Like yeah. I think when he gets up to 10 shots per game, you're going to see like, a marked difference on like what he's producing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even like, so he's in his last six games, he's two of five from beyond the arc. So like you're, you're, I mean, it's not like he, he, he's, he's going to take more of them, I think, as he continues in his career. So for, for sure. So I, I think that's, you know, we got a lot of guys like Bledsoe is a good example. And the is a good example of guys who can get into the paint pretty nicely, but aren't always the best at creating for others. You, we, I think we've seen blood so far. I mean, he's, he's picked up in three point shooting this year. He's doing great, but he's also taken a lot of difficult shots in the restricted area this year. And so, um, you know, part of that is the Pelicans don't really have great spacing. So the defense kind of collapses around him. Part of it is just because he's not that, not, not, he's not as good as Drew, even Drew was at, at creating for others. But um, Kyra is the guy who can do that. Um, the, the question is, you know, what's the learning curve for him if he plays significant minutes? There's going to be bumps, right? It's, he's not going to just instantly become this awesome creator and never turn the ball over, even though he's been great about keeping taking care of the ball so far. Um, but I want to see more. I think everyone wants to see more of it. And, and hopefully he's going to earn standing on his trust sooner rather than later. Yeah, they, it seems like they're all itching to play him. And, you know, the, the scene, um, the impression I get behind the scenes is he's been absolutely killer in practice. Like they, they just gush about Kyra and and they think that he can impact winning today and you know they're and he's like okay well why don't you play him well it's it's not that easy it's not that easy to be like okay we're benching you Lonzo we're benching you Bledsoe we're benching you we're benching you JJ you you can't you know it's 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 hard um and so that's why those trades are necessary that's why those those moves are necessary to get Kyra those minutes um that being said, you know, this, I like this conversation about being able to put pressure on the defense and create shots because we have seen a lot more point Zion. Zion has been 
given the freedom to go initiate the offense, to start games off initiating the offense. And it has, I, I think it has many, many benefits, um, both in the short term and the long term. But curious to get your thoughts on that development. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. I think as fun as seeing him uh, be that guy. And, and it, I love hearing Griff talk about him and and uh, and Stan too. But about how he was a point guard growing up and he likes to create for others. That's that's where he you know he feels most comfortable um, or, or really you know he feels like he thrives the most. And so I think. You're, you're seeing that, I mean, you were talking about the change in the overall offensive, um, you know, productivity of the Pelicans over the last few games. I was kind of looking at what has happened off of those Zion passes over the last six games. Cause I mean, that's the, that's been the difference maker for the Pelicans has been his ability to create, literally create for others. I mean, there's been, I was looking at like some of Zion stats over the last few games and like what's correlated the most with success and it's not things like his usage rate. I think it's more, and, and I was looking at that because his, his highest usage rate games are Pelicans losses. But I think that's a little bit about what his role was earlier on the season. And now what is it becoming now? And, and I think it's truly, his, he's morphing into more of a, a distributor for others as well as a guy who's going to go and, and get his own uh, get his own shots, obviously. Um, but he's he, the three-point shots he's been creating for his teammates have been incredible. I mean, he's uh, it was, I think it was 55% or so is what the Pelicans are shooting from three on his passes over the past six games, which is nuts for this team, right? They've been terrible at shooting threes all season. Bledsoe is like 55%, Lonzo's 60%, uh, BI and JJ are like 50% or better. I mean, the only guy who's shooting a bad percentage is Nikhil. He's 0 3. I mean, everyone else is has been making and taking three pointers based off of clear looks that, that Zion has given them. Um, and so Let's just, again, kind of like Kyra, let's, let's keep seeing it. Defenses are going to adjust. This is kind of a new thing that they're seeing out of Zion. Um, it is, you know, so do you, you know, how do you, how do you defend him? There's no easy answer, but I think you'll see him start to have to work a little bit harder to, to uh, do things like that. But I mean, for now it's, it's taking opponents. They're having a hell of a time stopping him. Yeah, and it's funny because I was looking into his passes as well because I was looking into – who passes the ball to him and what's the result of that, right? I uh, tweeted about it the other day and and it was hard not to look at the results of his passing as well. Like, you know, and for the season, Bledsoe and Lonzo are both a combined like 40% from three off of his passes. Now, you know, there's, I'm going to go ahead and say that the, those that tracking data isn't necessarily the most accurate and it's not logged the most accurately. And we do deal with a lot of small sample size issues. And so we have to be careful on how to draw conclusion from conclusion from that. Like, like, like you said, like 55% from three is fantastic. I mean, they're getting really good looks, but are they a 55% from three type of team or do they, do they have those quality of shooters? Absolutely not. And so some of it's just luck, right? Those shots are going down and, and Zion was creating looks earlier in the season that weren't going down. Um, but I do like the added emphasis because like Giannis, like Ben Simmons, you know, he has a gifted amount of physical abilities that allow him to put a, a lot of pressure at the rim that just draws all the defenses and it creates easy looks. And NBA players should be able to hit easy looks at a good offensive clip, right? You know, above 35% from three rate, which is going to turn into a good offense, right? An efficient offense. Um, 
And so maybe not 55%, but you, you get him around that 37% mark. That's fantastic. You know, that, that's a good offensive possession and, and you want that. Uh, so I'm happy with that. I'm the other reason I'm happy is that it's gone away from the whole Brandon Ingram centric initiate the offense where I feel like that took a lot of, that took a lot of mental bandwidth for BI and a lot of physical bandwidth for BI to do that over the course of a game. And that's why you saw not enough effort on the defensive end. And that's why you've seen poor outings from Brandon Ingram in the fourth quarter or in the second half. And frankly, I'm not going to attribute all of Ingram's shortcomings to this shift, but it does allow him that bandwidth to play harder on the other end. And it does save his legs. It saves his capacity to make more of an impact in, in the fourth quarter. So I hope to continue to see that. Um, so that's important. Uh, secondly, and I think this is perhaps the biggest win, right? You don't go through those six minute stretches where Zion just does not touch the ball. Those like infuriating six minute stretches where Brandon doesn't find him or Lonzo doesn't find him or, or Bledsoe doesn't find him or whoever, you know, where he just doesn't touch the ball. And that's, that's, what's maddening to me. Um, and, and this is a simple way around that and they can get really creative with their offensive sets from this configuration. Yeah, look, and eventually you got to just take, take a look in the mirror and look at, and to tie it back to what we were saying about Kyra, this team doesn't have enough creators to, to, to not give Zion those chances. I mean, just based, you're exactly right. I mean, they put so much of this load on, on BI in the fourth quarter because he's, he's the best guy at it. And he's, he's, he's most of the, I guess, triple threat that you could have out there, but he it takes such a toll on, on him on both ends of the floor and it's it becomes predictable at some point and easier to stop i mean anyone anyone in isolation in the half court even the best isolation players are not it's not an efficient offense in the grand scheme of things um i guess maybe james harden off to the side and um in that but it's it's just not you need to have a more dynamic offense and i think it's this does get open up another another option for for them and so it's yeah. Yeah. I mean, do it not only because Zion's proving to be really good at it, but do it because you have a lot of other great options. And uh, as far as, you know, shot creators, both for yourself and for others. And so, um, you know, it just, it just makes too much sense. That's absolutely true. And so good for, good for Zion. And you know what, there was a lot of conversation about Lonzo ball unlocking Zion Williamson and, Maybe it turns out it's Zion Williamson (laughs) that unlocks Lonzo Ball, who is on an absolute heater, you know, ever since he returned back from injury. He's up to nearly 37% from three over the course of his season. You know, he's been shooting around 55% from three over his last three or four games. Uh, He's knocking, he came up huge in that Indiana game, right? And he was a total non-factor for basically three quarters. And then that fourth quarter shot after shot after shot and that clutch stop. Um, so I am taking Lonzo ball stock to the moon and to the trade deadline <laughs> because you are not going to find a bigger fan than me until March 25th. Cause let me tell you, Lonzo ball on the best stat in the world, RPM ESPN's RPM, the most infallible stat. Everyone says it's the best thing ever. Um, please don't quote me on that. 
<laughs> he's like 13th overall. It means he's the 13th best player in the league. He's better than Jason Tatum. Um, I believe it. It is true. He is one of the best 3 and D players in the league. You know, he's shooting above average from three-point range. He's locking down people, making good rotations. This is Lonzo Ball, baby. And if you are a GM listening to this podcast and you want Lonzo Ball, well, you cannot have him <laughs> unless you pay a significant price. Oh, I'm man. talking multiple picks. I'm talking throwing a pick with Larry Markkanen, throwing a pick with Kevin Herter. Just can't have him. He's too valuable to this team. Do you agree? <laughs> the, the player you just described, I want multiple picks. One, that one's not enough. Um, but uh, no, I mean, let's, let's, let's give him some credit here because the, he's, he has been legitimately good over the last few games. It's been, uh, I, I think the point about uh, Zion on unlocking Lonzo is kind of, again, it's, it's kind of tongue in cheek because of what people said about the opposite to your point, but He's it, it's been it's been really fun to watch. He, he's engaged, active defensively. Like to his credit, he's been all season. He's been a strong defender all season. He's he's doing a little bit more. Um, I feel like his offense kind of drives his defense sometimes, which um, and, and yeah, he, and he's making shots. I mean, uh, he, he's the same. The thing is, he's still the same player he has been like. His, his game hasn't changed. His, he's not, his stylistically has not been become different. I'd say the only thing that I think Zion, or, or Lonzo's done differently this year is he's, he's defending more consistently. That's absolutely true. And he, it is def, he's having a, a very strong defensive season. Um, Whoa, it, you mean it's easier to defend more consistently when your offensive load in terms of initiating offense is lower? And when you're not I taking, am surprised. And when you're not missing shots and defending in transition too, right? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, so, you know, it, it comes down to the same age old question we've had for a year and a year and a half with him. Now it's consistency. It's, you know, he, he's not suddenly a, diff, a magnificently different player than he was three or four games ago. He's just making threes now. And, and so, um, you know, I, the, the one thing I get kind of frustrated with is there's always, a, there's, a, there's always an excuse about, about, you know, how he started last year was coming up, you know, he didn't have a training camp to get healthy. Um, this year it was like, oh, but his knee was hurting. And so that's why he's shooting better now. And these are things I've actually, you know, I've gotten multiple times from people. I don't know what the excuse was for the bubble, but um, it's just like, uh, it, they only go so far because you need consistency from him. You, you can't, you can't pay that player big money. Who's going to be a non-factor for three or four games and then show up for three or four games. Like that's, you, you need some sort of consistency. And so let, you know, I'm kind of like you said about uh, things you said about JJ, like I'm not, maybe you disagree with this, but I'm not just jettisoning, jettisoning Lonzo um, for anything just to get the young guys more minutes. I mean, I think I, I, I'm very happy to continue to watch him play if he's playing at this level um, until they get an offer that they think is worth moving him. Um, so I, my, my, my overall opinion hasn't changed uh, about, you know, his fit on this team long-term, but there's no denying he's, he's playing better right now. He is. And I, I've enjoyed watching him play the last few games. That stop on miles Turner was incredible. Um, and the, like I, I said, it, I said it on Twitter, the Pelicans do not win that Pacers game without his, that performance from him full stop. Yeah. And so, I mean, look, the, the Pelicans don't win a lot of games without his performance. And that is exactly the issue. The issue is, is in wins, he's averaging about 17 points a game on like shooting 45% from three. And in losses, he's averaging about 10 points a game with, you know, shooting like 12% from three and, and not contributing in any meaningful way on the offense. And so the Pelicans have more losses than wins. What does that tell you? Yeah. Right. And so I, you know, I think people 
are I feel like I'm destined to be trapped in this loop forever until this player is, is either <laughs> so extended, <laughs> either he's extended or he's traded. Whatever the case is, I'm going to be trapped in this loop forever. Where it's oh he's playing poorly. You're right. Trade him. Trade him. Trade him. Or hold on to him actually until we can rebuild his his value a little bit because no one wants him. He had a terrible bubble performance. He started off really poorly. No one wants him. Hold on to him. His value is going to get higher. Um, <laughs> and then and then he starts playing well. He has he strings together three good games in a row. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like oh man I don't know I don't know if we could we should trade him if he's always, playing yeah. like this. Yeah. We're winning. Why, why why would you ever move him? It's like you guys you got to pick a stance, right? You got to pick a stance and then you got to find arguments that move you from the stance. If your stance isn't pinned down anywhere, you're always going to be a prisoner of the moment. My stance at the beginning of the season, before the season started was you trade him. Has he done enough for me this season to move me off that stance? Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Not Am I happy with how he's playing? Sure. But that's the issue. You know, 11 months ago, 12 months ago, we said this. We said this is the issue with Lonzo Ball. He gives you those glimpses. He gives you those flashes to where you're left guessing, man, what if? What? Imagine what this can be. And then it goes right back in the gutter where he has those games where he's one for seven. And you're like, dude, what, what are you doing? And you can't pay a guy 20 plus million dollars who you don't know what you're getting in night in night out. You you just can't do it. And, and frankly, again, if he is able to move me off my stance, great. March 25th isn't that far ahead in the future. I very much doubt He's going to move me off my stance. He could be hot for the next two months, right? Until the deadline. And my stance is still going to be, you move him until I see a meaningful change in his game. And that, again, it's about style and, and, and what he does, not just how he does it. Right. It, and it's, it, it, that's the thing is when the shot is not falling, what does he do for you on offense? And the answer is not a whole lot. And so until until that changes or he's a consistent three point threat to the degree that defenses give a shit about when he put, when he squares up to shoot, which to your point, I do not think a month and a half of data is enough to move either of us off of that stance. It's just what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, yeah, he he had a month and a half where he got hot uh, last year around this time, but the bubble man, it, it, it messed up his rhythm. No, but that's exactly the thing. It's like, okay, well, he was hot for a month and a half, which is great. Yep. But what about the prior month and a half? What about the subsequent month and a half, right? And so if he gets hot for a month and a half now, great. Am I, what about the first 20 games of this season? You just throw that away? Yeah. And, and, and I just, you know, like it's when you're so much of your offensive utility is predicated upon you being able to knock down threes. And this applies to even one of the best shooters in history in JJ Reddick. You better be damn good at that job and be consistent at it for you to regularly provide positive value. Mm-hmm. JJ, you know, up until this year was yep. this year, you're seeing, you know, his variants have a pretty high uptick 
and it's destroying the Pelicans because they don't know what they're getting out of him. It's destroying him. And, and that's Lonzo Ball, whether people like it or not, he's a 3 and D player at this stage. And if that three component isn't there night in, night out, it's rough. It is rough, especially, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that you, you make a Lonzo Ball decision based off of who is currently in your backcourt because, you know, Bledsoe is not a, not a long-term partner. Either. Yeah, but, but you, you, man, you just need some consistency in the backcourt from both those guys because Bledsoe is the same way this year. His, his stats – are the exact same and wins, you know, he's like 17, 18 points per game, like 45% from three and losses. It's like 10 points a game. And you're like, dude, what are you giving me, man? Like yeah. what, what's going on? Because, and, and I feel like it's worse in the case of Bledsoe because he's a vet and, and he's letting, and maybe it's, you know, it's a situation where like, he's not on a contender anymore. Right. And, and the game is, yeah. and the game is a little bit more difficult because he doesn't have that level of talent around him as well. And who knows, you know, maybe with Zion playing in a Giannis like fashion, will lead to a better Bledsoe because that's what he's used to for the last few years. But, you know, with Bledsoe, it's like, okay, well, you're an NBA vet. Um, you, you can't have nights where you let your offense dictate what you're giving us yeah. on the es- other end. Especially because, like, if you had told me that Eric Bledsoe would be shooting 40% this year on threes with over 100 attempts so far, I would have been like, oh, hell yeah, that's awesome. And, like, and, and that's just not – that, I mean, that it is great. It's been helpful for the Pelicans who otherwise have had a very inconsistent and poor shooting season. Bledsoe, I feel like, has been the one uh, beyond maybe like B.I. has been the one consistent threat from deep for the Pelicans this year, which is really weird. But uh, yeah, the other stuff is is, inc- is definitely inconsistent. So like, it's not like Lonzo's the only guy who's who's a, who's the culprit here. It's, it's also Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, and, and it's also J.J. Redick. It's also Josh Hart. It's been the entire Pelicans perimeter outside of Brandon Ingram. It's also Nikhil Alexander Walker, who's just been absolutely terrible from three. You know, it's 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 having four or five or six high variance three point players whose entire game it's like, okay, if they're not hitting three point shots, like what are they giving you? That that's what's maddening, right? You know, with with BI, if he's not hitting from three, he's getting to the free throw line, he's getting to the paint, he's getting to the rim, right? And and you know, yes, there's been like one or two games where um that's been difficult for him or he just, well, you know, wasn't able to get it going. That's fine. Right. It's like one or two in, in the grand scheme of things, but you know what you're getting out of him every night, even if he's missing threes with Zion, you know, threes aren't even a, a factor. It's, he's going to do whatever he wants. Good luck stopping that. Um, you know, and Adams, Adams isn't there for offense. He's, he's there for the, all the other things. Right. But if your entire offensive play and your entire perimeter play from the one through three positions, it's like, okay, if these guys' shots aren't falling, they're not giving you anything, you're going to be a bad offensive team. And I know the Pelicans are 12th best in, you know, 12th in offense right now. This is great. And I, and I think, you know, part of that is with, with Zion and, and Brandon being absolutely ridiculous for the last couple of weeks or so. Um, and, and, and it's nice that Lonzo's hitting his shots and, and Bledsoe's hitting his shots. But I, I don't think that's a real number in the sense that, you bring it to crunch time, the Pelicans are going to be a really efficient offensive team. They're not. They're still among the league's worst. Even over the period of this this past week, we saw them just absolutely melt away against the Pacers bench unit. You know, we saw them at we saw them melt away against Milwaukee. Well, they're a good team. Um, and you know, we we saw 
they punched back when when the Grizzlies broke um, broke through and almost tied up the game. And that was good. That was progress. But on the balance, you know, you take this the way it's constructed and you bring that into a playoff setting where all of a sudden those open catch and shoot threes aren't so open anymore. Jeez, man, it gets ugly. It gets ugly. And and that's, you know, I, I there is a, a lot of talent overhaul that needs to happen. Um, and it, it doesn't need to happen like, you know, today, tomorrow by the deadline, just when, when I talk about this, I'm thinking in the, in the future, in the sense that, you know, if your aspirations are a deep playoff team or a contender level team, well, you know, that, that stuff can't be around. Yeah. And, and like, I'll, I'll just say it on top of that, if that was where the Pelicans thought they would be sooner rather than later, I don't really think that they're going to get Steven Adams just, you know, to put it bluntly. I mean, that I, I think Steven Adams is a means to, to an end as far as getting the Pelicans to another level that they're not playing at today and in, in, in different aspects, not just like whatever the, what the offensive efficiency is. Right. And so um, uh, that's going to be a process to get to that type of deep playoff type level of scoring ability and and crunch time legitimacy. Um, So yeah, it's, it's certainly a work in progress and you need to have dynamic players on offense that, 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 you know, you can have a player or two that as his three point shooting goes, as he goes, but those have to be more specialist type roles. Those can't be, that's gotta your, be like your the offense. fifth best player yeah, on, right. your, on, right. on your, on your squad. Right. Yeah. You know, that can't be your, your third offensive option mm-hmm. and also your fourth and your fifth and your sixth and your seventh, yeah. you know, like guys three through seven can't be that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, now, one one last thing to hit on with this with with Lonzo and I think so uh, we got by the way I, I tweeted out like asking for questions literally right before we started recording and I think we got a lot of good ones that maybe we can hit on at another at, maybe we recorded another one uh, in a day or two and um, touch on it but I think I, I think it's important to bring up uh, there's been a couple of questions around sell high on Lonzo right now it's like I, I can't impress enough despite the the you know sarcastic comments you and I have made that's not how NBA front offices think. Um, <laughs> There, there would get fired. People would get fired if they thought about that and said, "Oh, well, look, Lonzo, Lonzo's made a lot of threes the last three or four games. It's, his value's peaked." It's like that's no, no decision making process is going to take that route. I mean, you've got to have consistency. Man, I'm very <laughs> glad you mentioned. I'm very glad you mentioned that. Yeah, like you know, yeah. you and I meme about it, right? Yes. Like sell, sell, sell. Yeah. No, that no front office operates like that. Yeah. I mean, well. Well, <laughs> good, good qualifier. Fair enough. You find the one team that, that well, does, go for there it. There was a team that paid Solomon Hill $48 million off of a, a two <laughs> we'll week playoff run. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but it's seriousness. Like most teams just do not operate this way. Yeah. So, Hey, if Griff can find the one team that doesn't and, uh, and, and say, Hey, look at the last couple of weeks. This, this is who he is and go for it. But you know, whether it's Lonzo or anyone else, I mean, it doesn't, that's not, that's not how this works. That's not how any yeah, of this look, works. 90, 99.9% of like trades, they happen within those 24 hours of that trade deadline. And that's for many reasons. One NBA executives are habitual procrastinators Two, It's always, you know, these guys are, are like okay well we want to have the least amount of opportunity cost possible some cost and, fallacy too huh right well some cost fallacy is part of it but it's it's this idea of like you, we just don't know what the landscape of all of our options is going to be until that end until that that hard deadline and so you know it's, it's one of those things like okay well if i make the move now 
damn, like, could I have gotten, you know, could, you know, in, in the next month, like someone have, uh, you know, some team have an injury issue and they have a desperate need to fill this gap or et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, you, they try to make the decision with the most amount of information as possible. And to them that happens as you approach the deadline. And so I would be very shocked if there is any movement on the trade front with the Pelicans in, in before the deadline. Um, but I would also be very shocked if they did absolutely nothing at all by the time the deadline is passed. Yep. Uh, absolutely. I mean, like we, we've been saying it uh, on multiple podcasts. I mean, at, at minimum, one of those guards among Bledsoe, Lonzo and JJ is out before the deadline. I think most, I don't know, maybe most likely, whether it's trade or buyout, hopefully trade, it's probably two of them. Um, I think that's, if, if you had to bet, uh, you know, if you had, uh, how many of the pellet, those, those three guards are with the team after the deadline is, is your, would, would your most likely answer be one or would it be, would it be two? It'd be one or zero. Oh, that's hot. That, that's a hot take. I, yeah, it'd be one or zero. Yeah, so I, I'm at, I'm I'm squarely at one, but I think two is more likely than zero. So that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. I think I think I think zero is more likely than two. Um, and again, people are going to call me crazy, but one of the reasons they're going to wait till the deadline is they'll have a better picture on what the hell's going on with Bradley Beal. There it is. It is. It's true. No, it's fair. It's fair. True. Yeah. yeah. You guys think I'm crazy? No. That's it, fair. <laughs> It yeah, it's it's all. I mean, what type of assets you got for me, right? And, and the and the Pelicans have a unique uh, treasure chest of assets that are may not be better in some cases than other teams' offers, but are different. And different is important in this case. And so, Look, man, we got the thirteenth best player according to Real Plus Minus <laughs> ESPN dot com, uh, greatest stat of all time. You know what's funny? In in, in um, a serious note, you know I. Uh, I'm in like the, the nerd slack uh, that's full of like the, the Twitter nerds who are uh, NBA analytics, like fans of, that includes a lot of people who are, uh, who helped, um, you know, some people that designed that stat uh, originally, as well as, you know, people that have formerly worked in NBA front offices in um, analytics capacity and whatnot. It's a really fun slack um not just trying to flex on people like oh look i know these people um but those smart really intelligent people basically were like yeah all the people that originally worked on rpm when it first came out are like no longer on the project and they've like completely bastardized it uh in its in its new formation to where its reliability is like none uh, especially this early on in the season and it's one of the issues with RPM is that it's, it's a black box. They're not really telling you what kind of inputs, uh, statistical inputs that they're taking. You know, at, at one point they were taking stuff like height. Apparently now they're taking stuff like tracking data. I think Kevin Pelton um, had an article where he was talking about Lonzo balls, like head to head yeah. passes, you know, being incorporated in that. I'm just, yeah. you know, it's, it's again, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, there are better, uh, there are better all in one stats out there, but for our agenda, there are no better stats out there. This is the best one. And, um, yes, we expect starlight compensation if you even want him. The, the, the pass ahead stuff, I, I had to read it a second time. Like, I get there. I mean, I, there's plenty I don't know about the, that type of uh, – those types of advanced analytics and how to, how to generate the best possible predictive metrics – 
but that just doesn't seem like the right answer. It's like almost, it feels like you're trying too hard to be different and that's what you came up with. Well, my issue with like kind of these predictive metrics as a whole is like, I kind of wish that there was more creativity in, in the public sphere. There is a lot of, there's a lot of very intelligent people doing a lot of very fun things. And so this is not a knock on, on the analytics communities. Cause like, I, I respect a lot of those people and consider some of them my friends. Um, but I wish there was more creativity in the sense that oftentimes it feels like we're in a rush to create the best all in one stat and they all end up being like one or 2% better than the other, you know? Um, and they're one or 2% better than the other. And honestly, you know, their best use is like beating Vegas over under. So if you're a gambling degenerate, those things are your best friend and every edge that you can get is, is amazing. Um, but you know, I, that, that's just like my small nitpicking quibble with the, with the way that the people in the analytics community um, kind of approach what they're trying to accomplish. But, you know, there's a lot of great work out there and I don't want to um, throw that under the bus. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Any, anything else to hit on? I feel like we've done, we've done a nice job of capturing kind of what's going on with the team recently. Um, We missing, missing anything? Oh yeah. Just, just closing thoughts. Um, you know, what the, the defensive buy-in from Zion and Brandon Ingram, yeah, right? Yeah, let's go. Uh, so, I, yeah, what, do, what are your thoughts? What do you make of that? Do you, is it sustainable to you? Is it a progress or is it just like, hey, they tried hard for three games? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always – you got to prove it to me with that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I think we saw as, as – the, the, the classic example of this to me was Julius Randle when he was in New Orleans. I mean, and, and actually like a few years in his career, like he was – you saw it for the first quarter of the season or first 20% of the season, and then it just fell off. And so, I mean, you, you, you start to pick your spots as the season goes on and where you want to put that effort into. And with players like, like Zion, like BI, I could easily see them start to put more of that effort and intensity on the offensive end and let, let it go on defense. So, I mean, I, I think everything you said about, and earlier in the podcast about the Zion taking some of the offensive load late in games off of BI, allowing them both to really have more, uh, energy to exert in, in collective and, you know, collectively in on the defensive end, but I'm going to need to see it more than a few games for me to buy into it. I think that's, uh, unfortunately, that's where we are with this team <laughs> um, across the board, not just Zion and BI, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's been a nice uptick. Do, I, do you feel differently? Yeah, no, I, I don't feel differently. Um, I just want to echo your thoughts and add one thing. If Stan Van Gundy and his coaching staff, are able to create this buy-in and are able to create a meaningful change in the way Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson approach defense and their defensive mentality. You know, if there is a consistent baseline effort going forward that gets better, um, then Stan Van Gundy and his staff are worth every single penny. Could not agree more. Absolutely. Because it starts with your two stars and we know where they're going to get it done on the offensive end. If they can not be liabilities on defense, you know, and then that's kind of the bar I'm saying, don't be a liability, right? I'm not even asking you to be like phenomenal. Don't be a liability because if you're not liabilities, it's very easy to build a good defense around you guys. And then if you are beyond that, you know, if you are positive defenders, impactful defenders, event generators, right? You block shots, you get deflections, you get steals, um, that's that next level. And, you know, I'm, that's, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself, but 
you know, I, I want to see them turn into a non-liabilities first. And to me, that that'll that will make Sam and Gundy pay for himself if they become non-liabilities. And if they take that next level, man, just that's really good. In, uh, it's a really good indicator for the health of this franchise going forward. Yeah, it's a it's a great point. And I I mean, again, I think that's, you know, if, if my options are uh, miss the playoffs, but but see a, a defensive buy in from Zion and from Brandon Ingram that I believe in um, or versus making the playoffs and, and just doing it because you're an offensive juggernaut and not really caring much on defense, um, which I, I mean, this correlation and versus causation issues there to have those two scenarios actually be unique. But um, I, I'd still take it without a second thought. I mean, I'm, I'm, it, the, the long-term success of this team together depends on BI and Zion not being negatives together on on defense and if you if we can see that start to change uh, in a meaningful way that's 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 the ball game for me at least this year yep could not agree more on to the rockets next thank you for listening to us once again appreciate y'all and have a good night builds 5g like verizon builds 5g because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in america and the more you do with 5g the more building it right matters the more your network matters the more verizon engineers going the extra mile matters it's us pushing us it's verizon versus verizon 5g built right from america's most reliable network most reliable based on rankings from root metrics second half 2020 u.s report of three mobile networks results may vary award is not an endorsement Hello everyone, my name is Colin Kelly and I have one question for you. Do you love fantasy football and do you want to win in 2021? Then be sure to check out Rotoviz Overtime and all the other Rotoviz podcasts with new shows dropping every day on Blue Wire. We've got you covered for all things fantasy football. Subscribe to Rotoviz Overtime today.